Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. With me is Carl Rosier-Jones. He is the author of a book soon to be released called The Caveman Stress Principles. Well, if that doesn't grab you, nothing will. Because I think we all understand that we we um, come from cavemen, that we have uh, the same things that happened all those thousands of years ago to what is happening today we are still the same human beings and he is going to give us tips and insights into the tribal personalities of the caveman and he will describe how people can be better communicators how they can be less stressed when they deal with other people Carl, I think, would would have a real insight into this because he is a full-time police officer. He's worn many hats in both the police force and in the military. He also believes in people, which is a lot of people, you know, don't have time for their fellow man. But in reading Carl's website, I get the uh, real understanding and appreciation that he really cares about people. And he also wants to teach them their ability to accomplish their dreams. He is a practical coach and a speak and going to be a speaker, which is going to um, be traveling. And, and he will share that with us a little bit later in the broadcast. And he is going to be sharing in the area of dealing and understanding stress on every level. Now, all of us deal with stress in one form or another, and it can be in relationship, it can be in our job, it can be in finances, in our health, and today, can't wait to talk to Carl and have him share in this area. Stress is huge. So, Carl, good morning, or afternoon as it is on the other side of the pond. It is. It's evening time, and um, thank you very much for a lovely introduction. That was um, very nice, very kind hope I live up to it. And I'm assuming very true, so live up to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start with, um, tell me about some of the roles that you played. You said you, you wore many hats in the police force and in the military. So just share a little bit about that, please. Uh, sure. Um, well, I've been a, a police officer for 15 years now. Um, and obviously through that time, i you are allowed to do specialist roles and some of those roles you get to wear a few hats and um, for instance being frontline in the UK you get to wear two you get to wear what we call a helmet um, which is the traditional policing helmet and also a flat cap to which we tend to use in the cars 
they're your normal ones. And then on top of that, you get to wear lots of others, such things like um, police riot training. Uh, you get a bigger helmet. Um, obviously, people want to try and do nasty things with your head, so you want to try and protect that. No kidding. Um, no, well, the, it's all part of the job, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, and then, of course, the other skills and things that they, they've trained us in. And, and what so about that's, that's, that's the police. Um, however, the military came about slightly differently that um, I kind of ran out of hats to wear in the police. So I decided that uh, the only place I could go was uh, somewhere else to, to start collecting them. Um, so I decided to join up the, uh, the Air Force Reserves and I started collecting more hats. Um, and again, that gave me an opportunity to explore something new. Um, I was um, I was tasked to go out to Afghanistan. I I did a stint out there, uh, again wearing even more hats while I was there. Um, really thoroughly enjoyed my time while I was there. Of course, it's not for everyone, but um, is what you make it. And um, yeah, that's pretty much my hat story I suppose many hats many stories you know that that's a very good point because in life we all wear different hats and what you're doing here and I'm sure you can expound on this and uh, when you're speaking etc is is that they are literal hats too they're not just oh. you know sorry yeah of course is is it the, the the hats that I wear are physical hats. Yes. However, there are other hats as well. You have the the spouse hat, so you have a husband or wife hat. You have the parental hat. Um, you can even be a teacher or a mentor of friends, of family, of colleagues. Um, again, they, they, you don't have a physical hat for that, but it is a a hat nonetheless that you would wear. So, yeah. And this uh, brings a lot of stress because a lot of people are juggling their hats and they have to sometimes wear more than one at a time. Is that correct? That's true. Um, all of the hats that I've worn, um, well, I, certainly at one point, I wore them all at the same time. And it was quite a balancing act on some occasions. But personally, I never actually found it was the wearing of the hats that I had the issue with. The issue I had with the people around me in the situations I was going through. Um, for instance, whilst I was trying to um, complete my full-time hours within the police force, um, I also had to give some part-time hours to the Air Force. So there was a lot of people I had to try and keep on side, happy and agreeing with what I wanted to achieve. Um, and that's where the stress came from. It was never wearing the hats. It was the, the opportunities that I was trying to create. Interesting. Um, that didn't um, either understand, support, or acknowledged what I was trying to achieve with my life. Very interesting. Well put. Now, you were a trained investigator and negotiator, correct? <laughs> all part of the policing yes right um, i want to hear some fascinating stories you promised me some stories and i know our listeners love stories so if you want to give us a funny story or a scary story or a stressful story or each of them the floor is yours <laughs> wow okay um i suppose if i was to go down the stress situation um the funniest one and and this is a policing story so i I apologize if some of the, the listeners out there may not actually follow this, but um, I suppose the funniest one I have is um, every police officer goes through a training. 
they complete their training in a classroom and then they're given to, in the UK anyway, we're given to tutors and that tutor will then mentor us and make sure we understand what we're doing in a live scenario. We don't do anything too silly and they, they will try and save us if we do. Um, but once you finish that, uh, that tutorship, you're left to your own devices. Um, and my funniest story I have is that, of course, being a police officer, you go to lots of things. You don't only deal with crime, you deal with lots of things. In the UK, we also deal with um, sudden deaths. Um, a couple of people now are sort of twitching at this story, but trust me, <laughs> it is quite funny. Okay, um, we're waiting. <laughs> I was uh, I was just out of tutorship, so I, I was sent off to to deal with my very first sudden death by myself. And as we attend these things, we attend as a coroner's officer or on behalf of the coroner's officer so that we can record what happened, put a report into the coroner so they can issue a death certificate. It's all very political. Uh But um, on this occasion, it's my first one, so I wanted to be professional. I went to an address. I knocked on the door. I had my hat on. I had my folder under my arm ready to go. And the door was answered by a nurse. And I thought it was very odd. So I introduced myself and... The nurse explained, oh, no, this is a nursing home. It's um, a converted house and it's now a home and we have lots of residents and they're all elderly and this is how we care for them. And so I asked if the uh, the family were there and she said, no, the family's already gone, but I'm able to provide all the information. And I thought, that's fantastic because now I can relax. There's no next of kin to worry about. I still can be professional, but the pressure has been taken off. So I was taken into a room and the nurse um showed me into this room and it's a small room. There was a, an elderly lady on the bed. She looked quite um, peaceful, should we say. And the lady was um, clearly past her best. The nurse, however, was at the table at the end of the bed, um, getting lots of information, lots of detail. And I was making small talk saying, oh, how old is she? And the nurse said, oh, she's 88. And I said, oh, it looks like she's had a good innings. Um, you know, she's clearly cared for. She's here. She's, she's being looked after. And the nurse was agreeing and we were having just this general chit chat. All of a sudden, this lady on the bed just took this massive intake of breath. I've never jumped so high in my life. I couldn't speak. I couldn't say a word. Everything in my head was exploding. I had no idea what was going on. And all I could do was gabble and point. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all I could do. (laughs) Well, the nurse obviously wondered what all this noise and strange commotion was going on. And when she looked up from the desk, she saw me pointing at the woman and me just blabbering something. And then I think after about five seconds, she realized and the penny dropped. And she went, oh, no, no, that's not her. And she pulls a petitioning curtain across the room and says, no, she's behind here. And that was my first introduction to never take anything at face value. And um, you really do have to sort of check and double check everything we do. So um, obviously my first stressful and funny situation um, was at the same time a massive learning curve. So, Well, Carl, you painted a great word picture because as you were as you were sharing that very clearly, I was getting the picture Um very clearly and that's why it's funny because you did a great job of sharing so you're going to be a great speaker anyway let's <laughs> let's move on okay story number two um what would you like this time well what would you what would you like something scary you said or something um 
What's the other thing stressful? I guess they could be you. You decide. Okay. <laughs> uh, we could do a scary one, I suppose. Um, sure, again, okay. there, there, there are hundreds, so these are sort of being plucked. Um, okay. Well, in the UK, I suppose we can start here. In the UK, I'm sure you're aware that we don't um, we don't actually carry firearms. We, we have no guns with us. Right. There are a very few select people that do carry them, but they really are a minority. Most of us here in the UK, we don't actually carry firearms at all, including police officers. So it's a relatively safe place to live. So on one night shift, um, again, I was out operational and I was crewed, crewed with a colleague and we were sent to a domestic, um, a domestic incident. Someone had had an argument. They couldn't sort it out themselves. So they end up phoning the police. We were given the address and we got tasked there. And uh, when I knocked on the door, the door was answered by a lad that I recognised. I'd dealt with him before, so I sort of said hello to him and he was um, quite accommodating, invited me in, which was great. Got into the living room and he was sat there playing on his Xbox with his mate. Um, female was in the back of the, the room in the kitchen area and um, whilst my colleague sort of spoke to this young lad, I walked through into the kitchen and tried speaking to the female to find out what happened. Now, she was there. She was obviously clearly upset. She wouldn't really want to talk to me in front of her partner. So um, all she could do was point and show me she had a black eye coming up. And she pointed, obviously, that it was this, this chap. Well, up to this point, this is a normal policing attendance. We would go to these... Um, probably five, six a night and deal with them as and when they come up. So I took that as a complaint was being made that this uh, this chap had hit his partner and um, he was going to be arrested. So I went over to the chap. I explained to him, we need to sort this out down the police station. Where's your shoes? And uh, first of all, he accepted it and went, yeah, that's fine. And then all of a sudden something changed. I couldn't tell you what happened, but the this whole scenario in the room, the, the feeling, the atmosphere, everything just suddenly changed. And just as about he was to stand up, this was just about he was to stand up for uh, to get his shoes. He looked at me and he said, no, he said, no, I'm not going to come quietly. And um, he was sat on a cushion on the sofa. He reached under the cushion and oh, he no. pulls out a handgun. He points the handgun at me. And I have no idea what to do. So this was my fight or flight. I had two choices. I either stand and fight or I run away. Now, the door to the house was behind him, so I didn't really have a lot of choice. So I had to stand and fight. He shot at me six times. My colleague ran out of the house. Um, we have what we call is um, pepper spray. Police, that's about as much as we could do. So all I thought was, well, if I'm going to be dead now, I suppose um, I'll have to try and protect any colleagues coming in. So I emptied my entire can of pepper spray over him. Um, wow. To which, luckily, um, took an effect. But his mate, his colleague, his friend who was in the room thought, well, I'm not having that. So he standed up and decided that he wanted to have a fight. Oh, my goodness. So at this point, of course, I was full of adrenaline. I was there and ready. Um, and in fairness, he didn't stand much of a chance. Um, now, while I was fighting him, 
unfortunately there was a dog in the house and because there was a fight going on the dog attacked the stranger and the dog then starts attacking me so I'm trying to fight off his friend trying to keep an eye on the lad who's still got the gun and kick off the dog that's biting him at my leg Um, I have no idea where my colleague went she had the flight (laughs) thing she disappeared and I was obviously in the room trying to deal with this um I suppose what happened next was um, the parva took such an effect, the, the, the pepper spray took such an effect on this lad, he just could not operate. And all he could do was climb over the sofa. He couldn't see, he couldn't talk, he couldn't do anything. So once I dealt with his friend, and um, let's just say he probably didn't want to get up very quickly, <laughs> I then had to deal with the young lad who had the gun. Oh my so I was able to handcuff him and arrest him and drag him out. And it was only afterwards that I realised in the gun he had um blanks they they weren't actually live ammunition which i was so 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 thankful for um of course at the time excuse me just a moment you said that you were shot at six times right yes that's why i was wondering i i assumed that okay well thank goodness go ahead (laughs) and this was it um of course at the time i didn't know whether i'd been hit everything was just completely focused on fighting um and that was my experience of the fight or flight the adrenaline, the the focus you get, and the the threat level that's presented to you, um, you just work through it. It's an amazing uh, response that every human being has. Um, bringing it all to a closure, that I managed to arrest this lad um, for lots of things, um, including shooting at me. Uh, he actually got sent down for four years in prison, which was kind of nice because that's probably about one of the first times the the legal system has ever sort of supported a police officer so that was nice. really wow yeah um so he got sent down for that and the upshot of all of it is because of his actions um i was nominated to a police bravery award and i was sent off to london um i went to number 10 which is the equivalent to the american white house and and that's obviously where our prime minister lives uh, had an award ceremony, was given uh, a rather nice trophy, um, and um, obviously plenty of alcohol, which is great <laughs> for any British British citizen around. So um, I have a story to tell from that as well, which was great. So it was a win-win. <laughs> uh, at the time, it wasn't. Um, no. <laughs> um, yeah. It, interest, uh, I, interesting what you said about the adrenaline, because adrenaline is is really there to protect us as well, right? It's a, It can be a very positive force rather than adrenaline like that, that comes up when you're angry, right? There'd be two very separate and distinct things, correct? It's a um, – it's basically the same response you get um, where – I, I suppose as we've opened up the can of the uh, fight or flight, if, you, if you'd like, I can probably explain to you what my understanding is of fight or flight and, and sure, how I throw sure. that into the cave principles. Absolutely. Uh, from all my experiences, from all, all the, the knowledge I've managed to gain, my speaking to people, the reading, and my education and everything else, I've, um, I've come to a conclusion that um, fight or flight is probably the oldest and only reaction that humans have to either protect themselves um, or to protect their family Um, and so I've sort of had a look back all the way through time and the idea I have of fight or flight is it obviously comes from the cavemen Um, 
Okay. We're, we're talking millions of years ago when mm-hmm. cavemen were just you okay. know, throwing throwing rocks at each other for attention or for fun. I have no idea. But, um, of course, they had to survive. And within the caveman tribe, there was the um, people that went out and went hunting. Um, and while they're obviously walking around looking for whatever they're wishing to hunt, um, they would have a normal conversation or a, a normal interaction with the maybe the other people that are in the hunt pack um, and having a jolly nice time. And it's not until they find their prey, and let's call it a woolly mammoth, um, and we're talking sort of three tons of meat compared to a <laughs> probably a, a I don't know a two hundred pound weakling if 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 best. So um, there must be something in them to suddenly make them focused and have that extra strength they need to take down this mammoth. Um, and that's the fight or flight when they come face to face or something. They have a choice. Um, there's a tiny little button that. And mm. they've managed to develop that sits on top of the kidneys and it's obviously linked to the brain. And when that fight or flight response is kicked in, that button is pressed. Depends on obviously what that individual is either used to, been trained to do or is expecting. It will dictate whether they run away or whether they stand and fight. Now, by pushing that button, what it does is it releases adrenaline into the system for them to do either or. But also at the same time, it produces a massive amount of um, other toxins, let's call them, that floats around the body. And what that does is it focuses the brain, um, it flushes out your system, it makes everything, um, you know, your, your, your skin incredibly sensitive um, so that any change, any movement is picked up straight away and the reaction can be um, either life-saving or, or otherwise. It allows, obviously, your heart rate to... To speed up so that the blood's pumping around so the blood can get to the muscles um, hence why people start sweating because it's just a natural body reaction there's lots of things that happen in the stomach as well which we won't go into um, you know the eyes the pupils will dilate so things can either become sharper in more focus so that again things can be seen and be monitored and that's your fight or flight routine the adrenaline allows you to stand and fight gives you the extra strength or it gives you the extra strength to get extra speed, extra distance um, to run away from the threat. Um, and again, that's back in the caveman time. That's your fight or flight. The the adrenal gland also can become overtaxed. Is that correct? And and what ha- what happens in that scenario? Um, well, if I were to bring to modern day times. Uh, what we have is, of, of course, is we still have that tiny little gland, our button, let's call it, that allows us to have the fight or flight response buried within every single one of us. The idea is, is that if we're still attacked by mammoths, we can run away or stand and fight. Um, not sure about you, but certainly here in the UK, I haven't seen any mammoths. Um, no, I haven't lately. There you go. So <laughs> obviously... They may have died out, but our response levels are still there. Now, people kind of think that there are no mammoths. Well, I beg to differ because I believe there are. The problem is with mammoths are they, they've changed shape. Right, right. So your mammoths now are no longer the big woolly three-ton beast in front of you that's going to give you a meal for you and your tribe for the next couple of weeks. Um, it's people like your boss or... 
your next door neighbor that you may not get on with or the person in the front of the queue um, as you're going through the supermarket just to buy a pint of milk or even the chap that's driving the red BMW who doesn't care about either road conditions, you or anybody else. You know, his intention is to get home as quickly as possible and take anyone out on the way. So all these people and all these individuals um, are basically mammoths, our modern day mammoths. Right. The problem is now, though, is that they can still get us to push our buttons and the, the adrenaline runs around our system with all those toxins. The thing is, though, we're just not burning it off. We don't fight these individuals. We don't run away from them. We sit there and we just let all this stuff run around our system. You know, the adrenaline, these toxins that are supposed to clear our minds and do all these things. They're not doing what they should be doing. They just float around. You know, normally they're quite safe within all the glands, but suddenly they're pumped into the system. Now, if we're not running away and we're not fighting, the only thing we can do with that stuff that's floating around in there is to reabsorb it back into our bodies instead of burning it off. So over a period of time, if you're not burning off all these horrible, nasty toxins, they're just getting absorbed into your, your muscle tissue your organs, you know, anything within your body that, that will take any nutrients in will also take these toxins in. Over a period of time, as I say, keep pushing that button without burning it off. Those toxins are built up in all these different areas within the body. And um, I genuinely believe this is where a lot of our illness comes from. I agree. The, the stress that we carry, the, the toxins that we pump into our system because of that, is making a lot of us very ill. I totally agree, and that's that's an excellent, excellent answer to my question and an excellent definition of what goes on during that time of stress uh, in the physical. It um, The ramifications are huge, and this is what your book, I believe, and also when you start speaking that you are going to deal with is the understanding of this and then how to cope. Is that correct? Yes. And I believe um, through my interactions in all the jobs that I've carried out, um, it's a necessary part to understand stress and then have to deal with it. And touch a little more on that. Um, how can people learn to understand stress and you also mentioned on your on your blurb that there were uh, two very large problems in this area people there are. okay go ahead there are um stress is a i wouldn't say it's something we can do without we will always need stress stress is fantastic um, however, if you can control it and understand it, and if you understand the fight or flight res response, then you could, you're halfway there to being able to control it. Then you have to start worrying about how and when your, um, your buttons will be pressed, your stress buttons. And the two biggest areas that I found, and I think many others that I've spoken to have found, is that stress is caused either by people or by situations within change. So I've decided that the if you can control people or understand people and then either control or understand change, the chances of that button being pressed can be dramatically reduced. And that's part of my book, I suppose. Excellent. There is 
as you mentioned, we are all affected by stress in one way or another. And to come to a place where we can understand and, and learn from it, I mean, is I think what everybody wants to know, wants to, wants to be able to do. So uh, when is your book being launched? Um, this weekend is my deadline. So I have um, until tomorrow evening to finish my draft and then it's going to my publishers uh, Monday morning. So um, I'm hoping within, certainly within a month or two, um, probably around July time would be a fantastic opportunity at the beginning of July, that is, um, for me to do an announcement that my book has been published and is out there. Are you doing any pre-selling on your website? or? Um, I haven't at the moment, purely for the fact is um, I'm still tweaking the book and trying to make it perfect. Absolutely. Perfect's good. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm hoping I am virtually there. Um, and again, I know we've touched on the, the fight or flight response. Um, you know, the book talks about um, identifying character traits within individuals. And I've placed that into the, the caveman tribe system. That was my next question, Carl. See, Explain those roles. Sorry, go ahead. See, being a police officer, I kind of know where interviews go. <laughs> One of my daily uh, daily trainings and daily experiences I have to go through. Oh, dear. But, um, now I'm sorry. nervous. <laughs> okay, so there are four roles um, that you explain. And I looked at the, um, the little graphic that you had in your website. And we'll give all those details later, too, for people to be able to go to your website. But I found them very interesting. And I was thinking of when I put myself in those various roles. And it, it opened up a whole very interesting scenario. So I definitely would like you to share those four roles as hunter, protector, gatherer, and healer. That's right. Okay. And and also, do you believe that we, we all play those those individual roles at different times? Is that part of um, what you're sharing? Or, or do you think we're all just in one role, basically? We have a dominant trait. I Everyone that you speak to will have a dominant trait. Everyone will have a mix of those four characters. Um, but the main... Uh, the person that you're looking at, should I say, that the, the, the main trait that they will have will fall into one of those those okay. roles. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's let's go for it. Explain them. Um, well, first of all, there's two questions you need to ask anybody. Okay. Um, the first question is, are they open or closed? Um, mm. And the openness is very much. Um, could you read them? If I was to talk to an individual, would I know what their response would be? So if I was to ask either a personal or a difficult question as to whether they would be open to the conversation or whether they would be quite guarded, quite closed, and they wouldn't want to either share it or become involved with it. Very so interesting. Yes. I, so I that's quite it. an mm-hmm. easy way to, to sort of do mm-hmm. the open and close part. And then the second question you ask is, are they direct or indirect now direct and indirect is how they approach situations whereas um a direct person doesn't have an issue with walking up to someone and asking them straight out to their face did you do this have you done that what tell me about this um whereas an indirect person 
would sort of stand around and probably try and listen into conversations rather than ask those difficult questions. Um, and we all know people that are, and you know, they are quite their two extremes I've just given you, and you then yes, have to fit yes. people into to how they fit. Um, but yeah, that's your open, closed, direct, and indirect. Within those mix, you then obviously have the hunter, which is very open and uh, very direct. Um, and if you haven't worked out, I am a hunter. <coughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you then have the closed person um, with, again, the direct response. That's your protector. Mm. You, you have your closed and indirect individual. That's your gatherer. And then you have your open and indirect, which is your healer. Now, each character trait comes with it a set of rules as to how you deal with them. Once you understand those rules and how you can deal with those individuals, suddenly dealing with them doesn't become a stressful situation. You can understand why they say things. You can understand what they do in response to um, either placed in a stressful situation or if you give them too much work or how you can get the best out of them, how you can improve your relationship with them, all these little skills and tools that are provided for that character trait, you can use regardless of what you are and suddenly you find a better communication, you find a better understanding of each other and less stress. And that's my caveman stress principles. I was thinking as you were sharing that, um, they probably also uh, can overlap, right? Because, for example, I, I consider myself as being someone with pretty thick skin, and yet someone can say something to me that will throw me for a loop. That's really quite insignificant, and yet it will affect me for days, and I will, I will allow it to almost control you know, my actions during that time. So is that kind of um, – and yet somebody else can say something to me, and, and you know, it doesn't affect me at all. So does that kind of overlap sometimes in the roles that we play in how we deal with those stressful situations? I don't think they overlap in the, in the roles as such. But everyone has a mix of those character traits. Although I am predominantly a hunter, I also know that in certain things that I deal with, so at work I'm a, certainly a hunter. Um, if I'm dealing with my family, I tend to go towards the healer side of things. So it's the situation that I'm in Okay. kind of reflects on the personality that I bring out. And again, I'm sure everyone would say that if they're at home, they are a different person to they are at work. And so understanding yes, yes. that you can be these two characters, providing there's a, a nice divide, which there is between home and work, you know, it will work for many. It and sounds it, remarkable. It gets quite complicated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds remarkable. And I can see why you, you would – you would write the book because, as you just said, it sounds a little bit complicated, and yet it would bring great understanding when you do are able to comprehend those those various roles. And and what is the ultimate goal then? And when you said to understand stress, is it to understand who you are first and what role you're playing, or um, just expound a little bit on that? Sure. Um, 
And again, coming into the character traits, it depends on what character you are as to what would work best for you. We are all individuals. The main four character traits will or identify, should I say, the four very different ways that people deal with things. For instance, if you were a gatherer, before you even started to use any of the caveman stress principles, you'd be off reading probably every book under the sun, either on personality traits or stress or change management before you would want to use it. So it's, it's, it's very much recognizing that people deal with things very differently. A hunter would get a sniff of this um, and they'd go off and probably work out for themselves. And, you know, they're not interested in information, not interested in, in PowerPoint presentations or, um, you know, a 200 page book or, or two hours of sitting down and having to listen to somebody go through it with them. You know, they, they want to get hands on and deal with it. Interesting. So if you identify which character trait you are, it would probably then identify how you would want to use the information that I've supplied. So I can't necessarily say that everyone would want to start doing this or that because it wouldn't necessarily be what their personality personality would want them to do. I okay, suppose. okay. Fair enough. And do you like do you devote a chapter to each one of these or or how do you uh in your book how is it laid the, out? Yeah, the um, the book itself, it explains about how you can identify your character trait or the person that you're even looking at. Um, and an interesting point on your character trait is that most people, um, you've obviously heard of nature versus nurture. Yes. So that nature will tell you you're one thing. Um, so say you're in the military, they would ham in, hammer into you that you're not that person. You are now a soldier. Okay, and okay. They would then change your nature into nurture and try and change your character. So you have to be quite mindful of these things. And again, the book kind of helps people to identify this and make the right choice. So obviously uh, it's a self-help book with lots of good guides. It is, but it's also a business manual, I believe, because I think a lot of the information that we have could benefit any business. Oh, interesting. Okay, tell me about that. So if you have a manager that's um, either poorly performing or his department is poorly performing. Now, I say his, I know it's it's an asexual conversation. However, the caveman's stress principles <laughs> um, kind of makes me go on to the male side. So I do apologize. Um but, you know, the, the manager themselves, if, if they have a poorly performing department and no matter what they've done, they just can't seem to work out why they're not getting, you know, the um, either the, the product they wanted or the results that they're, they're, okay. they're pushing for. Mm -hmm. If they suddenly start reading the book and understanding what they can do to motivate their staff, identify first off if they're a hunter, a healer. They will learn then how they can communicate with them. They can learn then how they can set tasks. And they also then understand how they operate. So, um, for instance, you would never put a hunter and a gatherer on the same team. They would end up probably fighting, destroying things rather than actually building things and, and sorting things out. So, you know, these little tips would help businesses as well as individuals. Carl, that is a phenomenal platform. I think that that would be 
successful just all by itself. I that's that's <laughs> that's wonderful. I can think of a dozen people that right off the top of my head that would benefit from being on the right team with the right people and having a manager that could understand that and put those teams together properly. Wow, that's opening up uh um just I'm excited. <laughs> I think that that's going to be great, and I certainly will want to promote that as soon as you have your launch date. I think that would be just a, a great platform for for businesses. Very, very, very well done. Thank I'm you. excited to hear about it. Now, you are going to be also, after your book is launched, I'm assuming, starting doing some traveling and speaking. Is um, Is that in the works? Uh, yes, the, 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 uh, you've already um, mentioned my website. The website is up and running. It obviously um, was put together in a rush at the time, so please forgive if, it, if there are a few spelling mistakes. Um, however, once the book is done, I will then have the content from the book that I can then publish, publish within the website. Um, um, but certainly, speaking-wise, I would love to do this. Um, I hope I've come across that I'm... I enjoy talking about not only the caveman stress principles, but everything around it, the stress, the people, dealing with people. I yes. enjoy um, talking to people about it. So, Carol, thank you very much for obviously giving me the opportunity. But just the whole principles of these things, I think, needs to be taught. It needs to be out there. And if I can be that person that either teaches or provides the information for others, then, yeah, I would do that at a drop of a hat. I, I, that's kind of a dream job, I suppose. And I can see you doing it under like a workshop kind of a um, scenario where you would um, maybe even do a weekend seminar or, um, and do role playing of the people that, that are going to be there. Um, you know, that they can uh, understand the different roles, the different, um, characters and putting them I mean there's there's so much you could do oh my goodness I can <laughs> you're going to be on a roll once this gets going I can certainly see that yes I have plans once I finish this book um to actually produce a workbook yes um, but again that's for the future that's um probably not for discussing today because if it doesn't happen I wouldn't like to have egg on my face so um <laughs> Oh, no, I, I, I could definitely see that happening. You're on the right path. That's excellent. Um, now, the one thing that you said on your website and that, that hit me, and I really appreciate it because this, too, is what I, I believe about myself, and I think a lot of our listeners would say the same thing, and that is, I put my glasses on so I can read it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> you, you said, even if I can only help one person, then I have reached my personal goal. That speaks volumes about who you are and the warmth that you emanate and the strength, which is a terrific combination, is appreciated. It's come across here very clearly. I'm sure that it will come across in your book and also when you are speaking. And again, um, even if I can only help one person, I have reached my personal goal. I think that's a phenomenal statement and you should run with that. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now, as far as getting in contact with you, I have uh, your website is your name. Is that correct? That's right. All, all one word. Okay. CarlRosierJones.com. And let's spell it uh, slowly. So it's www.carlrosier.com. J-O-N-E-S dot com. And this will all be up on on your, um, you have a face, yes, you have a Facebook page as well, right? And I that do. And that is Stressed Caveman. Oh, that's an excellent page name. So <laughs> under Facebook, look for Stressed Caveman. And they'll wonder, why are you looking for a Stressed Caveman? <laughs> Because of what he can teach me, right? That's right. <laughs> and also Twitter is your name. Again, C-A-R-L-R-O-S-I-E-R-J-O-N-E-S. So we are going to look forward to hearing more from you. And I'm sure that a few months from now or a year down the road, we're going to be talking with you again, I hope. And we'll hear some great success stories from your book launch and also Maybe some more funny stories. I still have the old lady uh, taking that deep breath in the back of my mind. And I'll be chuckling about that. I can't wait to tell people about that one. Um, Now, what is your call to action for our our listeners today? What would you like them to do? Um, I suppose if they would be kind enough, if they're happy to like my Facebook page, um, my launch of my book, I will be announcing on there. Um, so at least they can stay in contact with me um, if they wish if they wish to message me if they wish to speak to me um, again through Facebook they are more than welcome I will try my very best to reply to everyone that, that contacts me um, and I suppose ultimately once that book is out there um, I'd very much appreciate it if people would be kind enough to buy it and perhaps give me some feedback let me know their stories if they've used it, if it works for them, um, and any stories they could possibly provide me so, you know, we can share them. That'd be great. Absolutely. That is a definite call to action, and I know that um, you will get it because when people – stress is such a huge subject. It's such a demanding subject, and when people start reading and understanding, they will, I'm sure – uh, as they benefit, they will definitely like your page and want to follow you. And um, if they don't, uh, I'll send the hunter out at them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we want to also thank you for your service to our country and, of course, to your own community and putting yourself on the line. Um, that speaks volumes as well to what kind of person you are. I appreciate your sharing today. We are definitely going to be hearing from you again, Carl. And I'm excited about getting your book, and I definitely will be following you, and I will promote you, and I appreciate what you shared. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening today to Never Ever Give Up Hope. And for this exciting interview that we had today with Carl Rosier-Jones. And you will be hearing more from him. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. 
Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.